0: Lord, would you anoint Peter to speak your word to us, open the scriptures to us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, well, it's a privilege to be able to spend some time in the scriptures with you this morning. And um, I do enjoy having to study for these things, so I learn so much more uh, probably than than you guys. But today we have this rich seam of 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, it was conveniently, Chris and I were involved with a funeral recently, uh, and they requested... No, 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 absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And they requested one of the old forms of uh, service. And we had a look at that, and it's quite interesting that in the Book of Common Prayer, the uh, majority of the service was based around this passage, 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, yeah, they, they cite verses 20 to the end. We're not going to look at all these verses. It's, as I say, very rich and uh, very uh, encouraging. Uh, I, I thought it was also very salutary just to focus on the way people in, that have gone before us um, and how things have changed. Today we have sanitized death. We have made it uh, something to be closeted away. And uh, we deal with it only when we want to or when we have to. But in the past, death was very much part of life. And the amazing truths of this passage and the reality of the death and resurrection are rarely spoken of today, even in funerals, which is now in such a contrast to what used to happen. Of course, with COVID and with Prince Philip's death, I'm sure many of us have reflected on the reality of our mortality and vulnerability when faced with the pandemic circumstances we are living through. But today we have the opportunity to, albeit briefly, see and recognize the enormous importance of this chapter for our faith and our lives today. And this morning, I want to draw from this passage just three strands. And I thought I'd give a little visual aid here. I have a bit of rope, which is actually made of three strands. And we'll be pulling uh, three of these strands out. And we'll be looking at how they are intertwined and are dependent on each other. So, like this rope, we will see that independence of each strand on the whole function and the strength of the rope. So, today I'm going to use the Living Bible as uh, the reading uh, because it just reflects, I think, better the style and the manner of, of what Paul was writing. So, let me read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 28. But tell me this, since you believe what we preach, that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that dead people will never come back to life again? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ must still be dead. And if he is still dead, then all our preaching is useless, and your trust in God is empty, worthless, hopeless. And we apostles are all liars because we have said that God raised Christ from the grave and of course that isn't true if the dead do not come back to life again. If they don't, then Christ is still dead and you are very foolish to keep on trusting God to save you and you are still under condemnation for your sins. In that case, all Christians who have died are lost and if being a christian is a value to us only now in this life we are the most miserable of creatures but the fact is that christ did actually rise from the dead and has become the first of millions who will come back to life again someday Death came into the world because of what one man, Adam, did. And it is because of what this other man, Christ, has done that now there is the resurrection from the dead. Everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, being members of his sinful race, and wherever there is sin, death results. But all who are related to Christ will rise again. Each, however, in his own turn, Christ rose first. Then when Christ comes back, all his people will become alive again. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having put down all enemies of every kind. For Christ will be king, until he has defeated all his enemies, including the last enemy, death. This too must be defeated and ended, for the rule and authority over all things has been given to Christ by his Father, except, of course, Christ does not rule over the Father himself who gave him this power to rule. When Christ has finally won the battle, against all his enemies, then he, the Son of God, will put himself also under his Father's orders, so that God, who has given him the victory over everything else, will be utterly supreme. So our first strand, And they all begin with R, fortunately. So hopefully you'll be able to remember. Our first strand is. Oh, of course. First strand is R for resurrection. And we've been singing about it, and it's been great. Johnny's chosen so much uh, that fits the talk this morning. So early in this chapter, Paul describes the indisputable fact of the resurrection of Jesus. And in it, he cites all the witnesses who testified and who could testify to the resurrection of Jesus. However, the first thing we come across in this passage is an element of doubt. The Corinthians, being of Greek culture, did not believe in a bodily resurrection. And whilst the Corinthians did believe in the resurrection of Jesus, they didn't in their own. So the Corinthian uh, Corinthian Christians were no doubt influenced either by their own Greek philosophy, which considered the resurrection as undesirable, thinking the state of pure spirit, superior, or by the thinking of the Sadducees, which uh, thought the world beyond to be just wishful thinking. But the bottom line for the Corinthian Christians was that they believed... We lived forever, but not in resurrected bodies. So what is resurrection? And firstly, it's not res- res- resuscitation. It's not simply coming back to life or merely life after death. It's a continuation of life after death in glorified bodies, which are our present bodies transformed into a glorified state. And we just need to think of the resurrected body of Jesus. He still had limbs, he ate food, was clearly recognizable, but had other new supernatural powers of walking through walls and closed doors and appearing and transforming at will. Sorry, transporting at will. So maybe the first thing to remember this morning is the reality of our own bodily resurrection as the body of Jesus was and if we look at this passage uh, Paul with impeccable logic and challenge he identifies what believing in bodily resurrection is and why it's so key to our faith and why it is necessary he says this if Christ is still dead then our preaching is useless If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is not risen, and Paul and the other apostles have preached in vain. Worse, if Christ is still dead, then the apostles are liars. And worse still, if Christ is still dead, our faith is empty. It's worthless and hopeless, and we are still under condemnation for our sins. And say point by point, if there is no precept of resurrection, then Jesus did not rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then death has power over him, and it defeated him. If death has power over Jesus, he is not God. If Jesus is not God, he cannot offer a complete sacrifice for sins. If Jesus cannot offer a complete sacrifice for sins, our sins are not completely paid for before God. And if our sins are not completely paid for before God, then we are still in our sins. Therefore, if Jesus is not risen, he is unable to save. The resurrection is key To our faith, and so we move to the second strand of redemption. We heard in a wonderful and powerful, moving way on Good Friday, those of those of us who joined, the anguish, the pain, the torment, torment, and the reality of what Jesus went through for our sakes and for our sins. The need for our sin to be dealt with before a holy God by the sacrifice and the death of a perfect animal and the shedding of blood is frequently lost in our desensitized society. And of course, friends, just remember, Satan, of course, tries to stop us thinking about the cross. But Jesus' death on the cross is what fulfills the law. The consequences of sin being death for us, were substituted by Jesus himself in his death. And the reality of our sin before a holy God is stark. If you look in Leviticus, what they had to do, the sacrificing and killing of animals and the pouring out of blood is so grotesque and alien to us. As part of that process, confession or acknowledgement of sin is a necessary part of the sacrifice. A sacrificial animal is costly to the sinner. They had to find the animal. So nothing is free. There is a close identification between the sinner and the sacrifice and the imparting of sin by the laying on of hands suggests that the animal becomes a substitute for the sinner killing the animal is very personal it's not done for the sinner by a third party but by the sinner himself And Hebrews reminds us in chapter 9, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Isn't the cross an amazing act of grace and salvation? When we realize uh, the reality... And the cost to Jesus. In that act, Jesus reversed the verdict and curse that man carries. Jesus also arrested the natural process of decay and corruption that we inherit from Adam through his sin. And the part the resurrection plays is that it validates and authenticates the redemption we have through the cross and completely assures us of God's forgiveness. Let's move to our third strand, and that's R for restoration. And we see Paul's logic continuing here. He says, Worse still, if Christ is not risen, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there is no resurrection, then the dead in Christ are gone forever. And worst of all, if Christ is not risen, then our hope in Christ is only in this life. And we are all men, the most pitiable Because if there is no resurrection, then the whole Christian life is a pitiful joke. So if we don't have something beyond this life to look forward to, why hassle with the problems of being a Christian? Clearly, as we know, being a Christian solves many problems. Knowing Jesus and loving Jesus can make this life better. But it also brings many others. And Paul, in this passage, saw little ultimate value in life if there is only this life to live to the extent that he says if in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men the most pitiable. Indeed I'm sure Paul's thinking was with all I have endured for Jesus Christ just remember that great list of uh, sufferings that that he identifies in the next letter to the Corinthians chapter 11. And he's saying, if there is not a resurrection and a heavenly reward beyond this life, I am a fool to be pitied. Paul is clearly steering the Corinthians away from the momentary pleasures and difficulties of life and health, but pointing them to the eternal restoration that is coming When Christ returns. So, underlying all this is the reality that the resurrection for us is the restoration in person, in resurrected bodies, with our Heavenly Father. And that's called justification. You see, it's not just about today or our life here, but the eternal hope and glory we will embrace as believers and remember. That every day that passes is one day closer to his return. Hallelujah. And Paul uses the illustration of Jesus being the first fruit, not in the version we read, but in other verses. He talks about Jesus being the first fruit of those who died and rose when he identifies our future resurrection. This is a powerful symbol to the Jews, a clear picture. Because uh, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection was at the time of the Passover. And uh, we have this uh, uh, celebration that the Jews have as part of the Passover. They bring these first fruits, which are actually from their barley harvest. And the resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits. Because what followed the first fruits was a full harvest the resurrection of Christian believers when Christ returns. Verse 23. Each, however, in his own turn, Christ rose first. Then when Christ comes back, all his people will become alive again. And when Jesus returns, it will be a glorious day. He will destroy all dominions All authorities and power and defeats all enemies of every kind. Paul describes that here. Jesus will be seen to have the rule and authority over all things that has been given to him by his Father. And the last enemy, death, will be defeated and ended when Christ has finally won the battle against all his enemies, then he, the Son of God, will put himself under his Father's orders so that God, who has given him the victory over everything else, will be utterly supreme on that day when Christ has completed his redemptive, His resurrection and restorative work, Christ returns the kingdom to his Father. He will have recovered the full submission of all things as it was in the beginning of all creation. It is Christ's resurrection that guarantees all that. So friends, is there a challenge for us to see how important the truth of the resurrection is? It's not a side issue. It can't be. It's got to be part of our central belief If we do not believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead and in the resurrection body, the way the Bible says he did, then our faith is seriously compromised as it is one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Martin Luther says, Everything depends on our retaining a firm hold on this doctrine in particular. For if this one totters and no longer counts, all the others will lose their value and validity. Charles Spurgeon states, if Jesus rose, then this gospel is what it professes to be. If he didn't rise from the dead, then it is all deceit and delusion. So where do we sit with all this? I personally struggle with the way our culture deals with death. It talks about passing away and people having passed. It's, it's quite hard to describe death, isn't it, in, in reality. And in a sense, that it implies that life, if believed at all, and if people believe it in an afterlife, it's only in the spirit. Or do we actually now see that death as the Bible describes it, more accurately as falling asleep. Waiting for the subsequent resurrection of the body. Should we be surprised that as the human body of Jesus for his resurrection was transformed into a new resurrection body, that ours will be too? Do we live? In the victory of the resurrection or the failings at the cross are our lives truly a new creation that old song new creation we are a new creation a resurrected body are we holding on to the old and fallen lives and friends if Anything Living in freedom, those courses have taught us that we can live in victory and in power of the Spirit. We can live as people of the resurrection looking in expectancy for our resurrection and restoration on that day when Christ returns. The bottom line is, Christ has rescued us out of the realm of death so that we can possess immortality. And some final thoughts on the resurrection as we close. The resurrection we've seen in three strands here, but it's in other strands of our beliefs as well. So here are five. The divinity of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 1, 4. The sovereignty of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 14:9. Our justification rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 4:25. Our regeneration rests on the resurrection of Jesus. One Peter one, three. Our ultimate resurrection rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 8:11. Spurgeon says as well, the fact is that the silver thread of resurrection runs through all the blessings from regeneration onward to our eternal glory and binds them together. So as these strands of redemption, resurrection and restoration come together, I was reminded that these doctrines are so simply enforced in the Anglican mystery of faith, when it's declared in our Holy Communion services. Indeed, his existence goes back many centuries and can be found in the early Roman Missal. These words have clearly been a source of strength and focus when lives have been so deeply challenged. If we remember nothing else from this passage, maybe we can remember these truths in these ways. So those who can remember some of the Anglican liturgy, in the community service, the priest says, Praise to you, Lord Jesus. And the response is, Dying you destroyed our death. Rising you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. See those three threads. What may be more well known to us, when the priest declares great is the mystery of faith. We say, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's just say those three phrases together as an affirmation and declaration of the truth of this mystery of faith. Together, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. Amen.